NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. NASCAR America, everybody. I'm Carolyn Mano. Dale Jarrett, Nate Ryan, and Jeff Burton are going to join us shortly to cover the latest on the 2018 rules package and also the upcoming round of 12 in the Monster Energy Cup Series playoffs. But we begin with the sad news that we received last night. NASCAR Hall of Famer Robert Yates passed away at the age of 74 after a lengthy bout with liver cancer. And Yates's NASCAR journey began almost 50 years ago in 1968, and he went on to become one of NASCAR's most iconic and influential engine builders and team owners, winning numerous races in both roles. He reached the NASCAR pinnacle in 1999, winning the Cup Series title with Dale Jarrett behind the wheel. And in 2003, he joined forces with Jack Roush to create Roush Yates Engines, which has gone on to become one of the most successful engine providers in all of motorsports. And this past May, Yates received NASCAR's highest honor when it was revealed that he would be a member of the 2018 class for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And the loss of Robert Yates has deeply affected the entire NASCAR community. So with more on his life and his legacy, we turn to Yates' 2018 Hall of Fame classmate, Ken Squire. In 21 years as a NASCAR series owner, Charlotte, North Carolina's Robert Yates won 57 races, 48 poles, he was a quiet but serious team owner, who we all got to know a little better during that 1999 season in which Dale Jarrett in the number 88 Ford outmotored the likes of Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon, Mark Martin, and Bobby Labonte for the title. You deserve to win this championship so much, <laughs> and I'm glad that he can give it to you. <laughs> you could hear it in each one of his cars the motors, the pistons, the belts and gears. The Yates family has and still is known for their ingenuity under the hood. Robert began his career as a mechanic with Holman Moody, 1968. Later, he teamed up with the Hall of Famer, Junior Johnson. And with newfound horsepower, they helped power Hall of Famers to victory lane. But it wasn't until Bobby Allison in 1983 did a Yates Motor capture a cup title. Robert began his teams in 1988 after purchasing the assets of Rainier Racing, and his first driver was a young Davey Allison. Together, they won 15 races until Davey's death in 1993. Yates Racing continued, powered on, adding drivers like Ernie Irving and Ricky Rudd and the NASCAR Hall of Famer, Dale Jarrett. Together, Dale Jarrett and Yates took home NASCAR's crown jewel, twice winning the Daytona 500 in 1996 and in 2000. What this sport loses is a great creator, a genuine car chief, a man who paved the way for engineers and ingenuity, a professor of pistons, if you will, and for all the men that got behind his machines 
Robert Yates was the ultimate maestro who conducted a 700 horsepower orchestra under the hood. Robert Yates, a new deserving member of the Hall of Fame. Beautiful tribute there from Ken Squire as we now welcome in our Hall of Famer who drove for Robert Yates from 1995 through 2006, Dale Jarrett, and our NASCAR reporter Nate Ryan, and also the mayor, Jeff Burton. DJ, this was a man who you loved and a man who loved cars. What are you going to remember about who Robert Yates was? Gosh, Carolyn, uh, there are so many things uh, about Robert Yates that you want to say and want everyone to know. Uh, I think the the best thing that I can say is what a wonderful person he was. Uh, you know, he was basically a second dad to me for a little over 11 years there at, at Robert Yates Racing. And there's just so many things I've thought about over uh, the last 16, 17 hours uh, since I learned of his passing. But I, I think that, that the thing that strikes me the most about Robert Yates is, you know, there are a lot of people that have great specialties uh, with automobiles and, you know, some are engine specialists, some know the chassis, some know the tires, uh, others know the, the, the aerodynamic side of it. Well, all of that is Robert Yates. And this is a man that, yeah, he wasn't an engineer or he didn't have that degree, but smarter than en any engineer I've ever known in my entire life. And the other side of it is, is that he did every job at a race shop. Yes, he was the owner at Robert Yates Racing, but the first day that I walked in the door uh, as I was going to start driving for them in 1995, Robert Yates was sweeping the floors. Uh, he wasn't above anyone uh, to do anything. He drove the hauler uh, a lot of times. He enjoyed doing that. He enjoyed every aspect of the sport, but he's obviously known as the premier engine builder in the sport, and, and he well he should be. Now, I'm not sure that a lot of people understand. They've heard that Robert Yates designs cylinder heads uh, for Ford Motor Company. Well, let's take that a step further. We're talking about a cylinder head that was designed, yes, for racing to make more horsepower for our race cars, but it, this was done, to, but it had to be a production piece. These had to go on cars uh, before it would be NASCAR approved. So that was in the early 90s that with all the great and smart engineers in Dearborn for Ford Motor Company, here's a man, uh, Robert Yates in Charlotte in his shop that is designing this cylinder head uh, that would actually take me to my first victory, uh, not even driving for Robert at the time, but driving for the Wood Brothers. So uh, it was just so, uh, so unbelievable to see all the things that he could do. Uh, getting in that little room where uh, he designed those cylinder heads and where he worked on cylinder heads, the, the intake manifolds, uh, I think you could actually get into the White House easier than you could get into that room. Yeah, I drove for a while before I was ever allowed in there and they'd see exactly what was going on. Not that I knew anything about what it was, but it was just unbelievable what he could do. But he, he again, it, there was so much more to him than that. In running the company with his uh, twin brother, Richard. Uh, they did a great job. Uh, not a lot of employees. Uh, you know, not ever really the biggest sponsorship uh, in the sport until UPS came along and, and uh, in 2001. But he did so many things. Uh, as we started building our own chassis, he knew all about that. Uh, most of our shifts at the, the wind tunnel uh, for the aerodynamic side of our cars was done from 12, uh, the midnight uh, to 8 a.m. shift. And Robert was there on most occasions with that, uh, with his input. He knew so much about that. 
the chassis, the working, the tires, everything. So this wasn't a man that was just about building engines. He knew every facet as to how to make cars go fast, and that was his passion, was what can I do for you to make it go faster? We never had to worry about the engine being part of our problems if we weren't the fastest, but on all of the side of that, he was one of the kindest people that I ever knew in my life. I felt like that when I went to Robert Yates Racing that I had another family, and that's the way that they treated me and still do to this day. You know, DJ, I think that attention to precision and that craftsmanship and that generosity was known really well, not just by you and the people at Robert Yates Racing, but across the industry as well. And I think that's reflected by the fact that Robert Yates received 94% of the vote when he was uh, elected to the NASCAR Hall of Fame in May. That is tied for the highest known vote total ever for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. I think that speaks to two, th two things about his legacy. One, his genius as an engine master and just a, a, a horsepower mind, uh, you know, a guy who worked with legends such as Holman Moody and Junior Johnson and Kale Yarbrough and Bobby Allison and the man to my right right here, but also someone who really was affable and congenial and touched a lot of people in the garage. I can remember that Junie Dunlavey's last trip to Daytona as a car owner in 2004, he attempted the Daytona 500 because Robert Yates gave him a carburetor. And that's not the only time I can think of that Robert Yates helped out Junie Dunlavey and other smaller team owners like that. He had that reputation across the garage. Um, he also was a guy who said that he didn't necessarily want his name to be on Robert Yates Racing. He just did it because he had to. He was a shy person, but he always said that he loved working with people, and I think that was evident in his election of the Hall of Fame. I'll also say that the last interview I did with him, DJ, as a team owner, he mentioned that he wanted to look beyond NASCAR, um, beyond just helping people in racing. He wanted to take that genius and apply it to other things in terms of fuel efficiency, in terms of you know consumer cars and consumer brands. Uh, and I think that he was very cognizant of the fact that he had that ability to work within the, the, the ways of an engine, but he also had ability to relate to people and be able to you know, transcend NASCAR and take that to other places as well. And Jeff, we'll welcome yeah, I, your thoughts not, in I on never, this as well. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. I'm sorry, Carolyn. I never had the, the pleasure of driving for, for Robert Yates. I was always, uh, unfortunately, competing against him. In many cases, Dale Jarrett. And, you know, it, it's difficult when you compete against people because, you, you know, you both want to win. You want to take that trophy from somebody else. But Robert Yates was the kind of guy that when you won – you generally felt like he was happy for you, you know, and that, that's a hard thing to say because if you won and got the trophy, you took it from him, but he never made you feel like that. He would actually congratulate you, uh, tell you how much respect he had for you. Those kind of things are rare and it's hard to do. And I heard Dale Jarrett talking earlier today about the, the genius that Robert Yates was. And um, last year I stopped by his shop and, and spent a couple hours talking to him and we started talking about one thing, and, Robert, and, and, and Dale's going to know how this is. We started talking about one thing, but as you're talking about that, Robert starts thinking about something else. And now you're talking about something else, and then he thinks about something else, and then you're talking about something else. And in his mind, they're all connected, but, but I was not near smart enough to understand how they were connected. And he knew exactly what he was talking about and had real strong opinions about the sport, where the sport was, where the sport was headed, things to do to make the sport better. And even though he wasn't a current car owner, he was still actively engaged and, and had a true passion for the sport. But that, the way his mind worked and, and, and how he sorted through stuff, I found fascinating. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Jeff. Sometimes it was difficult. I never was smart enough to keep up with everything that he was talking about. And a, a simple conversation turned into lengthy ones uh, a number of times. But, yeah, you know, I think that 
the first thing that I thought and thought the most about last night was the, the call that I got in 1994 from Robert Yates uh, uh, after Ernie Irvin was injured and they were looking for a driver. Would I come be a part of his organization? And, and just to get in and think that I had that opportunity uh, to, to work with this man and, and then to see so much more of a person than what you're able to see and understand from the outside. Uh, his passion for wanting to win, never to give up. Uh, so many things. But the first year uh, that we that I was going to drive in 1995, we were at Daytona. They built, had three engines, and they were all a little bit different, all very powerful uh, as we were there testing. But something happened to all three of them, and he literally built one engine in the middle of the floor. Now, most of the time, you walk into race shops now, and there's not a speck of dirt anywhere. But he built this in the floor of the garage area uh, in Daytona, and we went out and ran two-tenths faster than we had run with any one of the three engines, and this was parts and pieces of all of them and he built that right there and he did not put it on the dyno didn't do anything we came back uh, for the race in February and sat on the pole with that engine that was built there uh, in the dirt and grime and that's just what he said he was never going to give up on anything and uh, I remember a number of times in 99 through our championship season that things weren't going well but it was what can we do what can we give you and always listening and you know the, the one thing that he wasn't wasn't a, he never was a driver but you talk to Robert like that he was because he understood so much of it. And I talked to Doug Yates this morning, and I think the thing that I took away from Doug and, and talking this, and we've talked about it a number of times, that as I'm there with Robert and uh, and with Doug, and you saw my dad there earlier. You know, I've, been, I've said this a number of times that I was fortunate that my hero was in my house from the day that I was born. And that's my dad. And Doug Yates is a lot the same way in that respect that his hero was his dad. He had someone to look up to, to live up to, uh, that not only talked the talk, but walked the walk. And, and uh, we're all better people for being a part of his life. And we're all thinking about Doug today. And DJ, I know this was a very difficult day for you, and we appreciate you being here and sharing so much with us so that those of us who didn't know him can really understand why he was loved by so many people. And I just want to end with a quote from longtime NASCAR broadcaster Mike Joy. He said, no one had more fun with fast cars. Robert Yates leaves behind his wife, Carolyn, his children, Doug and Amy, along with eight grandchildren. He was 74 years old. Welcome back, everybody. So this weekend, the NASCAR playoffs continuing at Charlotte, Saturday at 3 Eastern, right here on NBCSN. It's an elimination race for the Xfinity Series. And on Sunday, the first race of the round of 12 for the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series, that one at 2 Eastern on NBC. Uh, other news today, Nate, NASCAR announcing their new rules package for the Cup Series in 2018. Can you tell us what's significant here? Sure, Carolyn. These are fairly minimal changes compared to recent seasons. Uh, the most significant ones are there's about a 250 pounds of downforce less that have been eliminated on the car for 2018. And there's three ways that will happen. One is a common splitter that will now be a spec part bought from a vendor by teams instead of crafted by them, where they use a lot of R&D and spend a lot of money to be rounding those off. That's just going to be a spec part. Same with the radiator. That will now be a common radiator, so teams won't be able to ma manipulate that as well for downforce. 
And there'll be a new inspection system next year as well, so there won't be as much body manipulation that probably happens, so that'll be less downforce as well. Uh, other area where there'll be a little bit less downforce, reduced fans. There were previously three per brake, and a lot of teams were using those for aero purposes instead of cooling purposes, so NASCAR is cutting those back as well. And then the last really significant part of the air, uh, rules package here, Carolyn, is the engines. Uh, some of this was announced already, but they're going to a single engine rule at all the events next year, including the Daytona 500. That means no more engine changes after the qualifying races and there will also be no engines in the backup cars and what nascar is trying to do here is reduce inventory and reduce costs so teams won't have as many engines needed during the course of the season jeff what stands out to you most oh the common splitter that, that's the thing that stands out the most uh, you know the splitters have uh you can see them when you look on tv you can see the different shapes of the splitters that's turned into uh quite an art form is is trying to form the splitter to to advantage you in, in a front downforce way, lower drag, higher downforce. NASCAR stepping in and saying, look, we're not doing this anymore. We're going to have a common template uh, or a common uh, uh, splitter, rather. Everybody's going to have the same splitter. You can't gain an advantage there. Uh, that stands out. And then also something that was interesting, too, is the, 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 to me, the radiator, a spec radiator. There have been millions of dollars spent on developing better radiators, better oil coolers, to, to so that eventually you can put more tape on the front of the car, make more downforce. NASCAR stepped in and said, wait a minute, no sense in spending all that money. Everybody has the same radiator, same oil cooler. Nobody can gain an advantage in that way, and that'll save the teams a lot of money. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, Jeff. And as I look at this as a whole of taking more downforce away from these cars, I think that's a good idea. And I think that Goodyear's gone to a good place with the tires now that maybe it can settle in from that and not really have to soften the tires up anymore. And you know, make the, this a deal to where the, the drivers are really in control and the cars are sliding around a little bit more. Always makes for uh, exciting racing, uh, especially if you have a good car in, in that situation. But uh, yeah, I appreciate what NASCAR is trying to do here. You know, these might seem like to the fans that oh we're getting more rules but they're really not uh, very significant as far as big changes or anything like that so I applaud NASCAR for uh, tweaking on this just a little bit more uh, so we can have some uh, even better racing than what we've seen this year well let's turn our attention back to what we have seen this year and also the playoffs the round of 12 in the Monster Energy Cup Series more specifically Martin Truex Jr. holding that top spot by 18 points over Sunday's winner Kyle Busch Bush, one of five former Cup Series champions who is still in the hunt here when you look at the playoff leaderboard. Sunday afternoon, the round of 12 begins at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And then comes the always unpredictable Talladega, which is no longer an elimination race. That role now goes to Kansas Speedway, where the playoff field will be sliced down to eight. I want to go through some of these drivers here, DJ, who are still in contention. And let's start with Chase Elliott. How do you expect him to respond to what seemed to be a very demoralizing loss um, on Sunday, though he does move into the round of 12 here? Yeah, and that, I think that's the key thing is that uh, that vic not getting that victory didn't cost him uh, moving on. So that was the most significant thing from it. And, and I'm sure that we've seen uh, Chase in this situation before. He, he seems to put it aside before it's time to go back to the racetrack. He doesn't dwell on it. Yeah, he's very upset when it happens, and that's understandable. I think every competitor would be the same way uh, in a lot of ways. You're upset that you didn't close the, the job, especially as you're chasing that first victory. But uh, I think 
think this is a hugely important weekend for him and, and trying to advance because uh, this is a tough, tough round simply because of that Talladega being in the middle of that. And what I've seen so far in the playoffs and even a little bit before the playoffs is that this is a driver and a team that is ready to take things to the next level. So I really like what I'm seeing from Chase and uh, we'll see exactly what is able to happen. But I think this weekend uh, kind of sets the tone for what they're able to do, the race they'll be able to go and try to run at Talladega uh, without feeling like that they're in a hole. So uh, you look at Chase and then you think about Ricky Stenhouse kind of on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, we all knew that if he got in there, it's going to make a lot of people nervous. And I think that it is. Uh, I know he runs well at the other two tracks too, but I haven't seen them perform lately uh, on the mile and a half to think that they can point their way through. But He's the man that's won the last two restrictor plate races, and that makes him a, a viable force uh, in a couple of weeks at Talladega. And that could really shake things up uh, when you look at who's going to move on. Yeah, I feel like, DJ, like he could almost be considered the way we're talking about Kyle Larson. If he gets to Miami, he could be the favorite. Yeah. I feel like Stenhouse is talking yeah. about his team the same way, that now that they're in round two and Talladega is looming right there, and with those wins at Daytona and Talladega the last two plate races, I think he could be the favorite. Talladega. Nate, just quickly on Talladega here, because I know Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is who everybody's talking about. With the way that Hendrick Motorsports ran at Dover, I don't know why. I just get the feeling that this could be an opportunity for Dale Earnhardt Jr., you know, after that top 10 to maybe get back in as well. Is that off base? No, Carol, I, I think that he'll, I mean, he's run much better at plate races the last few years. Obviously, he wasn't in this race a year ago, but I think that if you look at his record prior to that, DJ, since, say, around 2013-14, I think Dale Jr.'s been a factor in every plate race since then. So I think he could definitely per perhaps close out his career with a win there. Let's welcome Jeff in on this. Jeff, what are your thoughts? Well, Ricky Sidhouse Jr., I, I, what I find really interesting is what is their strategy going to be this weekend at Charlotte? Uh, if you look at what they did at Dover, they accepted the fact that they weren't as fast as they needed to be. They went ahead and gambled early in the race just to get stage points. So why don't you take that same thought into Charlotte? Or is this team all of a sudden going to start taking off and being able to run in the top 10? Probably not. We haven't seen it most of the year. So why wouldn't you go to Charlotte and just say, you know what? Let's just get stage points. Let's just throw away where we're going to finish. Let's do all of our gambling just to try to get stage points and, and go ahead and play that strategy now. Don't wait to the last race of the year. I'm really curious to see if he or another team would do it. But, you know, the, the, the team I'm watching, the driver I'm watching that really – has my curiosity is Matt Kenseth because Matt Kenseth and that team have been kind of sneaky fast. If you look at their finishes the last three races, they don't look so great. I think it's a ninth, a third, and an 11th. But what could have been? In there was a speeding penalty late and then poor restarts. What could have been? This team has had speed. And if they can get those things fixed, if they can get those little problems behind them, this team could be a championship contending team. Now, they're starting this round with only five playoff points, and that means that they cannot afford mistakes. As these rounds move forward, the competition gets tougher. You've eliminated the four teams that essentially did not get stage points. The four teams that got gone, they essentially didn't have stage points, and they're gone now that the, the, the most difficult competition is left. So get, entering this, this round with a deficit in points could be something that doesn't let you go to the next round. But this team and Matt Kenseth, they have shown some real speed lately. 
Yeah, Jeff, I, I like what you're talking about there, and I like Matt Kenseth being able to think his way through there, but they must, as you said, they have to eliminate mistakes, along with uh, a number of other teams. Well, pretty much every, everybody except for three teams. I think there's only three out there that can recover from making those type of mistakes in a race and, and come back. And we even saw that Kyle Busch couldn't come back from, from pit road uh, problems uh, at Chicagoland in that first race. So it's difficult. You're up against the best. As you talk about now, it's down to the 12 best to this point for this year. So if you're going to make mistakes, if you can't eliminate those, you're probably going to find yourself on the outside looking in. But I agree with Matt Kenseth. They, they found some speed, and this is a driver that knows how to navigate his way around a racetrack and get the very most out of a race car. You named the driver I was going to talk about, DJ, Kyle Busch, in terms of recovering from mistakes. He certainly did that winning back-to-back -back races after having the pit crew issues at Chicagoland Speedway. But I still feel as if the second round could be a trouble spot for Kyle Busch. If you're going to look at, this is relative, but if you're going to look at the weakest round for Kyle Busch, uh, the second round is probably it. I mean, he only has two wins at these three tracks over the course of his career. He's never won at Charlotte. He uh, made a big to-do about noting that after his win at Dover. I think he's ready to win there. Certainly the mic drop that he had back in May was partially due to the fact that he finished second, and he's, he's trying to knock this off as the last track he hasn't won at among active tracks on the, on the cup circuit. And then Talladega, he hasn't won there since 2008. He was leading until the very last lap in the race in May before Stenhouse snookered him and beat him there. Kansas, uh, Kyle Busch has five straight top fives at Kansas, but prior to that, Kansas was always a house of horrors for him in the playoffs. That was typically where his championship runs tended to get derailed uh, in 14 races prior to that stretch of five straight top fives. I think his best finish was seventh. He did break through for a win there, as you see here, May of last, last year. So he's got some momentum there. And again, he's got 41 playoff points to help ensure that if he has a bad race there or even a bad race at, say, Talladega or Charlotte, he should be okay. But I just think there's a little bit of nervousness going into, into round two for yeah. Kyle Busch. Yeah, yeah I, I think you're right, but I think what they have going for them is, is, is the playoff points. So they have 41 additional points. You compare that to Matt Kenseth, who has five. So they're afforded, you know, they don't have to have great races. They just need to have decent races. If they have decent races and continue to earn uh, uh, stage points, they're going to be fine. I, I think for Kyle Busch, for, for Martin Truex Jr., I think the real battle for them starts in the next round. I think this round, if they don't get in wrecks and they just stroll through, they're going to have no issue whatsoever. The next round, where the competition takes another step and you don't have big advantages on points that you earned in the first round and also points that you earned during the regular season, that's when, to me, the problem happens for three drivers, really. The, the, the Kyle Busch... Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Larson, to me, that last round is when their championship battle starts. Yeah, I was going to say that trio has a significant amount of playoff points, and then it really trails off from there. Um, enough looking ahead. We're going to take one more look back on last weekend's elimination race in Scandal Dover. Engine on fire. Something's going on with that car right now. Trouble. 42 just took it. He got it back around. Being stupid all day. It was pretty and it finally just bit me. Well, last weekend at Dover, Jeff's son, 16-year-old Harrison Burton, won the season finale for the NASCAR K&N Pro Series East to become the youngest champion ever in the series. And you can catch the historic race this Friday night right here on NBCSN at 10.30 Eastern. Congratulations, Dad. What a moment for the 16-year-old. 
Yeah, that was fun. That was uh, it was made extra special because we were at Dover and uh, there were so many people there that, that Harrison's always looked up to. Uh, Kevin Harvick, uh, you know, he came by. Clint Boyer came by. So many people. Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett told me to tell him, you know, congratulations. So that made it extra cool to have so many people reach out to him and, and personally go see him or, or call him or text him or send a message through me for, to congratulate. That was a lot of fun. Well, we spoke to him a couple of days ago on NASCAR America. He's a wonderful kid. So congrats to you and the entire family. On a sillier note, also this past weekend at Dover, drivers Landon Castle and Matt Benedetto continued their back and forth pranks on each other. This time, though, it literally came at Matt's expense. All right, so we got uh, $91 worth of room service delivered to our room, thanks to my buddy, Landon Castle. And over here, man, Landon, thank you for this delicious breakfast that I'm actually getting the joy of paying for. I've got a lot to eat, so I got a little work to do, but Landon, thank you. Um, this was about $100, so I guess uh, it'd be fair to uh, maybe cost you about $100,000 today by crashing your race car. I'm just kidding, I'm not going to do that, but... That was a good one. I guess this is payback for uh, Bristol, which I'll take it. But thank you. I'm going to be a little full today. <laughs> 91 bucks. That is a lot of bread baskets. Perhaps tomorrow Landon's going to tell us how that prank came together because he's going to be with us on NASCAR America. Landon and his front row motorsports teammate David Reagan joining us live from the NASCAR Hall of Fame again. That's tomorrow at 5 Eastern. That should be a pretty entertaining show. You know, when last weekend began, 16 drivers still had hopes of claiming the Monster Energy Cup Series title. But by the end of those 400 miles, those hopes were dashed for four of them. Here is how the first elimination race of the playoffs sounded in Scandal Dover. Dover International Speedway. It's the Monster Mile. The drivers that are currently below the cutoff line are going to have to find something special today if they want to still have a shot at the title at season's end. Go, baby. Let's fight hard all day, man. Let's, uh, we can do this. Let's go do what we come to do. 10-4. Thanks for all your hard work. Stay focused, stay sharp. No mistakes. Let's do it. 10-4, my friend. Have a great day. We're proud of you. It's an elimination race. The final race of the round of 16. Green flags in the air. Patience, I know you want to go. Really starting to get frustrated. Control your emotions. Take it out on the cars in front of you. Uh, Bush falls back into fifth. Yeah, to start the race, we were just a little bit off. I feel like I probably over-adjusted going into the race, and we had to swing back the other way and get him where he could drive it. Yeah, early on in the race, you know, I was just kind of settling in and kind of taking my time and not really worrying about the, the spots that we were losing. I was just like, you know what, we're just going to wait. We're just going to see how this plays out. Still out on the racetrack, Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. maybe trying to use a little strategy here, hoping that a caution may come out. Put this time, put this time. Don't over say, 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 go, go hard. We got a spin coming on to pit road. Stay out, cause them down. Cause them down, back it down, stay out. A huge advantage for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Now there's a five on the left. So uh, it worked out for us. Mobile 17 saved his day right there. Yeah, 10-4. So we'll at least keep him on the lead lap for another run. We are now under the red flag. Come on, damn it. I was looking on the cleanup. Uh, we're not close to done. Got a forklift over there, a bunch of trucks, a bunch of people. Little bulldozer. Sounds like a city job. Yeah, about 19 people. Standing around watching it, too, working. So, yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> no need for that sarcasm. Jason, can you have Sherman check all my drinks up? Next bottle it gets me. Whatever's going on here, there's something either wrong with how they clean the bottles or something he's putting in there. Something I don't want to drink, I'll tell you that. 
could be it's the ice or something, just leave ice on it, or have something warm that doesn't taste like it came out of the sewer pond. You would think 20 bucks for a bag of ice, it tastes better, way. 31 cars have just taken the wave around. This might be the biggest wave in NASCAR history right here. Brad Kozlowski wins stage one at Dover. Take that point, I need it sometime down the road. Fourth goes to Ricky Stenhouse Jr. He will earn seven points. Well, those points have changed the ball game. Sucks in traffic just like all year. It's all good. Kyle Larson will win stage two. Engine on fire. Put your battery. Something's going on with that car right now. Trouble. 42 just took it. He got it back running. Being stupid all day is free firing and it finally just bit me. Hold on, 42. Back up there. You're behind the 48 now. You don't retain your position. All right. Back up. The same. We got to go back behind the 48 now. That's awesome. Yep. 24 liter. Chase Elliott's the leader of the race, has a big lead, a four-second lead. I was just driving it for everything. It was worse, just trying to get the most out of it. To 24, trying to get by the lap traffic. Six to go. Two by two in front of them. Time and momentum. I think 100% of it was, was lap traffic. I mean, didn't seem like they were getting much out of the way. Two cars side by side, taking the fast lane away from him. That is going to kill this lap time. Stoked him up a couple times, and we were able to close up pretty big chunks of time. And they just moved out of the way of the 18 car. Chase Elliott's like, come on, man. If you're going to hold me up, hold him up, too. The run coming here. Watch your mirror. Two back on the top, outside. Here comes the 18 on the outside. Chase Elliott trying to hold on to the bottom. Kyle Busch is going to pass him for the lead. One left to go. By two, no mo. We'll get to you. Watch him jacked up here. Come checkered. Atta boy. Kyle Busch is going to win at Dover. So we go to Charlotte next week, and that's a place that we haven't won at yet. So uh, we look forward to trying to get a, a third in a row there. Dover was Kyle Busch's fourth win in the last nine races, a stretch that has seen him and Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Larson establish themselves as the dominant drivers in the Cup Series right now. Truex and Larson have each won twice during this stretch. And with that in mind, which playoff driver can turn that big three into the big four? Sirius XM NASCAR Radio's Pete Pistoni going to share his thoughts on the subject when he joins us next on NASCAR America. NASCAR America is brought to you by Serve Pro, like it never even happened.
Well, if you aren't a morning person, perhaps this will help. You can always catch NASCAR and NBC personalities every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern on The Morning Drive with Mike Bagley and Pete Pistoni. That is only on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. It's Channel 90. And Pete joins us now on the phone. So, Pete, the new rule changes for 2018 announced today. How do you see these rules affecting the competition? You know, Carolyn, I'm, I'm by my own admission probably the least spectacle guy on Sirius XM NASCAR radio, but I think that the listeners just get so tired of talking about rules changes. I was sort of happy to hear that for the most part, the rules changes for 2018 are very minimal. I think we've talked so much about taking away downforce in the last couple of years, and we know that the teams always catch up. I think letting the rules in place basically sit for another season is a good thing. From my perspective, I think the competition on the cup side has been very good this year. I really didn't see much of a reason to change anything and make any sort of drastic wholesale changes. So I was somewhat surprised and actually somewhat pleased that NASCAR announcing those rules changes are going to keep them pretty much in place for 2018 of what we've got here in 2017. Well, we know that the fans love to talk about the playoffs, Pete, on your show. So let's go to that topic next. We know Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson have established themselves as the big three, if you will, at least at this point. From what your vantage point is, who is that fourth driver that you think will end up ultimately being in Homestead, assuming the big three is going to get there, too? Yeah, and this was, I thought, a really fun poll question because the listeners signing in, we didn't really get uh, one main answer that got the most response. It was a little bit across the board. And I'm looking at this guy's more of a not a body of work for the whole season, but more of a what have you done for me lately. And when I look that way, I know – Jimmy Johnson got that third-place finish this past week at Dover. That was a good run for them. Chase Elliott's had two second-place finishes here in the playoffs of the three races in the first round. That's good for him, and maybe he's turning it around. But I can't get past Matt Kenseth. And I know Matt hasn't won a race yet, and I know Matt's not going to be back at Joe Gibbs Racing next year. But I look at the last few races and being in a Toyota, I really feel like Matt Kenseth has the biggest chance to be that impact player to win races here down the stretch behind that big three, as you said, of Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, and Kyle Larson. Yeah, I think this is the most wide open uh, that I've ever seen this. You know, I think before we could make a case for six drivers that you really felt like had things going their way, and that would be a, a part of it. So you could grab four out of that. I just can't put my finger on it right now as to who that's going to be. If you had to ask me right now, okay, you have to put down a fourth driver, I'm going to go with Chase Elliott. I just think that he's shown so far in the in the playoffs in particular that he is ready for this. Yeah, uh, I understand he was upset the other day about uh, not winning that race, but I just think he's performed at a high level. But I, I think we will have a better idea after Charlotte uh, that we can make a decision because I think this is going to show me exactly where two drivers that know how to win championships, and that would be Jimmy Johnson and Brad Keselowski, where do they stand? Because all of these races are during the daytime, and I want to see how these cars handle at a tough place like Charlotte. That's going to give me a better idea. We know that Talladega is going to be a total wild card, but I think Charlotte gives me an idea who's going to going to be able to handle the pressure and who is ready to step up right now. Pete, do you agree with that, that this first race of the round of 12 could really be a barometer for what we're going to see for the rest of the playoffs? I really do. And I think Dale's really right about the fact now that Talladega is in the middle, right? It's not the cutoff race like it was last year. I really don't think you want to get off to a bad start and put yourself in a hole. And, you know, to the Chase Elliott discussion, the second place finish, he had to start this round of the playoffs. The first round came on a mile and a half track at Chicagoland Speedway. We know there was some uh, imperfection, if you will, with the spoiler and all and the penalty that came down. But I think for Chase, 
this is a big race for him. I think this could be a defining race for him because if he can go out there at Charlotte on Sunday afternoon and have another good finish, it could propel him maybe to go on further in this round. But I think they're, they're across the board, guys, I don't think you want to get off to a bad start. And I think this race Sunday afternoon really and truly is going to be instrumental here in this first round of, or second round of the playoffs to get off to a good start. Pete, we know you follow the Xfinity Series closely. Cut race this weekend for them in the playoffs. What are you predicting for this one this weekend? You know, it's interesting, Carolyn, because the first two races of the first round of the playoffs for the Xfinity Series have been won by drivers who are not in the playoffs. Tyler Reddick won at Kentucky. Ryan Blaney won last week at Dover. Now, I know that at the top of the standings, you're looking at the junior motorsports guys and Elliott Sadler and William Byron and Justin Allgaier. They're going to be strong. But when you look at the rest of that, that division right now in the playoffs, it's wide open, I think. I really think that this is going to be a scramble to get in. And there's really no clear-cut favorite for me beyond, the, but again, the big three on the junior motorsports side in the Xfinity Series. I'm looking forward to Saturday's race. As Dale said, the cup race is going to be in the daytime. That race is going to be in the daytime on Saturday. They'll be slipping and sliding, and I think it's going to be a scramble to get into that next round of the Xfinity Series playoffs. All right, we'll have DJ hold his thoughts on the Xfinity Series for now because we're going to talk more about that in just a couple of minutes. But for now, Pete, uh, we'll let you go and enjoy having Marty Snyder on the show tomorrow. We'll be listening for that. We'll look forward to that. Thanks, guys. Always fun. Absolutely, Pete. Thanks. So as I mentioned, coming up next with the first elimination race coming up in the Xfinity Series, which drivers on the outside can make a rally and make the cup? Plus, news just now, a costly penalty has been handed out to a playoff driver. How will that affect that driver's shot at the championship? We'll discuss when we come back. Welcome back. The NHL is back to Wednesday. A new season begins. Doubleheader here on NBCSN at 8 p.m. Last year's Stanley Cup champs raising their second consecutive banner as Sidney Crosby leads the Penguins against the St. Louis Blues. And then at 10.30, Flyers and Sharks for you. Well, as we move on to the Xfinity Series, on Saturday, four drivers going to be eliminated in the playoffs at Charlotte. In this race last year, Brendan Poole held the final round of eight spot going in but lost it. This year, he is in better shape, and it's Ryan Reed on the bubble, just two points up on Brendan Gaughan. And some news just now, the 21 team in the Xfinity Series was hit with a major penalty today. Daniel Hemrick's crew chief, Danny Stockman, along with his car chief and engineer, have been suspended for the next four races for a safety violation that took place during Friday's first practice session at Dover when a piece of tungsten weight fell off of the car. Jeff, how big of a deal is this penalty? I don't think it affects them much for Charlotte. They have a 37-point lead over over the guys behind them need to, need to go into the next round. Remember, Charlotte is a cutoff race for the Xfinity Series. Uh, but I think uh, the next round is where the problem is. Remember, the Xfinity Series, you know, they go to eight drivers in the next round, and there's only three races left after Charlotte. And they're not going to have their crew chief, not going to have their engineer, and they're not going to have their car chief for the last three races before Homestead. So I think that's where the biggest part of the penalty comes in. I think for me, DJ, though, is is he actually advantaged because RCR has no cup cars any longer in the playoffs? Can they take some talent off of those cup cars and move down to the Xfinity Series in an effort to get that Xfinity car to Homestead with a chance to win a championship, kind of put all their eggs in that Xfinity basket? 
Yeah, that's a great point, Jeff. And I guess that's the advantage we hear about these these big teams, uh, Hendrick Motorsports and Joe Gibbs Racing and, and obviously Richard Childress Racing, having those resources to just in case something like this should happen. So I think that's uh, probably uh, a very good chance we'll see that. You know, this looks like maybe, and and you think about it, that maybe it's pretty minor. Actually, the, the tungsten came out on pit road there, and he wasn't up to speed. So there really wasn't uh, that big of a, a foul, if you will, with it. But it's the, it, it's the rule, and it's been there. Everybody understands, and, and it was a mistake that was made by, by someone not securing that uh, before the car was, was sent out uh, to the racetrack. So it's unfortunate. Daniel Hemrick is one that I thought could, could make it and still can uh, with the right situations and doing the right things. But he's certainly shown over the year that, that he's capable of going through uh, this next round and getting himself as one of the championship four. So we'll see how they navigate around this, but a lot of uh, experienced people there that they can rely on. Yeah, I think, DJ, I think a lot of fans are wondering why such a stiff penalty, right? Because that is a huge penalty. And the reason why, it's all safety. You know, that, that piece of tungsten weighs roughly 50 pounds in that range. And you can imagine if a piece of tungsten is bouncing down the racetrack. So NASCAR has it in the rule book. Uh, you pretty much knew as soon as that happened on Friday in practice what the penalty was going to be. It's clearly written in the rule book what's going to happen. And it is a stiff penalty, but in the interest of safety, they have to hold the teams accountable and say, look, if you make this mistake, you're going to have to pay a big price. It's a deterrent kind of rule. That's why they put it in there, trying to prevent people from making that mistake. All right, well, before we go to break, uh, just want to pass along to you on a completely different note, uh, something from Sunday night's tragedy in Las Vegas involving Brendan Gaughan and his family. He's helping those impacted by the mass shooting there. The South Point Hotel and Casino, which is owned by Brendan's father, Michael Gaughan, is offering free rooms for those traveling to Las Vegas to assist loved ones. And if you need a reservation, they can be made by calling the number that's on our screen. Our thoughts continue to remain, of course, with the families and the victims and the first responders there. So if you need that information uh, from the Gone family, there it is. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, outpouring from the NASCAR and motorsports community continues to pour in on the passing of Robert Yates. This from Jack Roush today. Robert was true to all he held dear, a fierce competitor, a dedicated and inspired leader, and a passionate family man. For me, he was the type of competitor that brought out the best in everyone around him, and he was a wonderful partner and friend. I am very fortunate to team up with and learn from Robert Yates. He was one of a kind and will lead a void in our sport and in my heart and I know DJ you feel the same way and you've said a lot already and as we just have you know a minute or two here to to wrap up with with your final thoughts the outpouring that we're seeing from the NASCAR community and the motorsports community is from everyone from Jack Roush and those who knew him well to young drivers like Daniel Suarez who have offered their thoughts on on his legacy and what he meant to the sport. Yeah, you're exactly right, Carolyn. And I think that's when you know the, the impact that was made by Robert Yates, that when you when your competitors, uh, the, the people that you, uh, as Jack Rouse put it there, he was a fierce competitor, and that's what Robert Yates, he showed up. He wanted to win the first practice. He wanted to win qualifying. He wanted to win the next practice, and then he wanted to win the race. That's why he went to the racetrack every single weekend. But people understood that. And even the young guys today that maybe didn't really have the chance to understand or to know Robert in the way 
that I was very fortunate to, to get to know him and be a part uh, of his organization and his life. Uh, but they know the name and what it's synonymous with, that, that he was a hard worker, an innovator. And Jack Roush and he were fierce competitors, but you could see the respect that he got from just everybody uh, that, that was ever there. And uh, I have to say that, uh, you know, I, I'm very, very fortunate. My, my career, I, I don't know exactly where it could have gone and what it could have been, but it's what it is. The successes are because of one man, Robert Yates and his family. Well, we continue to think about his family and offer our support in any way that we can. And DJ, we appreciate you being with us today to do the same. That is it for today's NASCAR America. Tomorrow's a big one, though. We're going to be live at the Hall of Fame with front row teammates David Reagan and Landon Castle. That's at 5 Eastern. We'll see you there. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.